something about it as you're walking through this story, following along this little lamb, and as you're reading it to a child, and uh, something just grips me as it gets to that page about the valley of the shadow of death. Here's how she puts it. It says, Even when I walk through the dark, scary, lonely places, and I don't know exactly what it is about that. Uh, Maybe it's because I'm picturing my son in the dark, scary, lonely places that he's sure to face in his life. Maybe it just brings to mind situations from my own life in which it feels like this is probably the best picture for it. I'm just a little helpless lamb walking through a dark, scary, lonely place. Um, but that language is just so powerful to me, you know. As a church here at North Suburban, we have just come out of, or are just coming out of, our own dark, scary, lonely place. Some of you are unaware because you've come more recently, but um, 10 to 12 years ago, maybe, um, you come on a Sunday morning and there'll be three times as many people here, right? But then through a prolonged and painful leadership transition, and then through a scandal, um, we are where we are today. Um, and so two years ago, when I told folks in the area, um, believers in the area, or people at work over at Trinity, that I was taking the associate pastor job here at North Suburban Church, the reaction was almost always the same uh, from people who were familiar with the situation here. It was, oh man, that poor church. They've just been through the ringer over there. They've been through so much. That's kind of been the perception among believers here on the North Shore over the last few years as they've watched what we've gone through. Some of you have shared with me even some shame that you felt as your friends left one by one and you were the one who stayed and they didn't really understand. Um, But you stayed. And... I brought my family here, and many of you have brought your families here, and the reason that you stayed and the reason that many of us have come here in these recent years is because we really believe that God wants to do something with this church here on the North Shore. We believe that God has a plan and a purpose for the church on the corner of Lake Cook and Waukegan, that he wants to see people come to know him in this church and then send them out as empowered disciples to transform the North Shore and beyond. We believe that God wants to do that. We believe that he has a role that he wants us to play here in this area. So then the question is, why would he have allowed us to go through this dark, scary, lonely place that he allowed us to walk through? Some of you on this side of the room particularly uh, were maybe too young to realize all of what was going on 10 or 12 years ago. Um, But you've had your own dark, scary, lonely place in student ministries over the last several years, right? Five years with so much transition, right? Um, Some of you who are older in the student ministries have had to deal with a former mentor who used his power for evil. So the question is for you too. Why would the Lord have allowed you to walk through this dark, scary, lonely place over these last years? What What could he possibly have had in mind? The Apostle Paul maybe could have been asking the same question in Acts chapter 25. Would you turn there with me? Acts 25. This Paul has had a burning desire to get to Rome, 
to the heart of the Roman Empire and preached Jesus there in the home of Caesar. He stated that objective back in chapter 19, and then in chapter 23, Jesus appeared to him in a vision and told him, Paul, you are going to get to Rome. You must testify about me in Rome. And for Paul, it's like, yes, the prayer I've been praying is going to be answered. Jesus promised that that prayer would be answered. I'm going to get to Rome one day. But in the chapters since then, uh, Paul has experienced being dragged from one court hearing to the next. He has been having to defend himself before crowds and before councils and before rulers. Most recently, in chapter 24, he was defending himself before Felix, the Roman governor in the region. And even though Felix couldn't find any grounds to convict Paul, he had Paul held in prison for two years um, just to do a favor for Paul's enemies. So when you talk about dark, scary, lonely places, Paul knows dark, scary, lonely places. There's nothing more dark, scary, and lonely than being alone in a jail cell for two years in Caesarea. So now when we get to chapter 25, there's a new governor in power. Felix has been removed from the governorship, and a man named Festus has taken his place. And Festus, like any skilled politician in this time, in this area, had priority to 1A that he wanted to get the Jewish leadership on his side. So he's going to make that his first order of business to do some favors for the Jewish leadership, get them rallied to his cause. And that's actually really bad news for Paul because for the Jewish leadership in the area, the number one item on their agenda was to get rid of Paul, to be done with their Paul problem. So Paul knows a dark, scary, lonely place, and he's right in the thick of it, right when we get to Acts 25 here. And the question he might be asking is, how in the world am I going to get to Rome in this situation like Jesus promised? It's the same question for us as a church. How, how are we going to one day realize the dreams that we have for how God might use us on the North Shore with this dark season that he's allowed us to walk through? So we're going to dive into this text here momentarily. But one more note before we do. I think it'll be a richer experience for all of us if we're all thinking of a dark, scary, lonely place that feels real for us right now. Or maybe at least one that has felt real to us recently, right? So, so I talked about our church's dark, scary, lonely place, and for some of you, that feels very real. For others of you, you've come in more recent years, and you maybe didn't even know about that. That doesn't really connect with you. That's totally okay. But we probably all have a dark, scary, lonely place in our own life that we've walked through recently or experiencing now, that even if we haven't shared the same experience corporately, we can uh, consider as we reflect on this text. Um, So that's where we're going to go. There are four questions in this text that I think uh, Luke raises in the way he structures the text for those of us who are in a dark, scary, lonely place. So I'll read the scripture as we ask each of the questions. First question is this, why? Why are we experiencing the dark, scary, lonely place? Look for what Paul's why is, as I read verses 1 through 5. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, so he just took the job, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summoned him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. 
Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. So let's go first right away to our church here and thinking about why our dark, scary, lonely place, similar to what Paul experienced, we experienced outside hatred during our dark, scary, lonely place. Some of you might know, some of you might not know that our website was hacked during all of what we were going through and everything was lost from that. It was a, it was a difficult situation. Um, but our outside hatred that came to us as a church wasn't as much because of what we believed as much as it was because of sin that was in our midst. So sometimes we are hated with something of a cause, but other times we're hated without a cause. And that's what Paul's going through here. His hatred that he's experiencing from others was not connected to any sin in his own life. We saw there in those five verses that the hatred that he's experiencing from outsiders was purely because there are these group of Jewish leaders that were bound and determined not to rest until they saw Paul dead. They were determined to be rid of him. And man, if you just look closely in those five verses, think about how badly they must have wanted him dead. Remember this situation. Paul's been in jail for two years at this point when Festus takes power. But still, after two years where they haven't been having to think about Paul or deal with Paul at all, still the very first thing on their minds that they want to talk to Festus about was let's get Paul moved from a jail cell to a grave, right? That's, they wanted to put the plans in motion to be done with Paul once and for all. There's an incredible amount of hatred here for Paul. It's, they see this as their chance, and they want to do it themselves. Back in chapter 23, they allowed others to kind of orchestrate the plot, and they stayed anonymous in it. Now, if you saw in verse 3, they are planning an ambush to kill him on the way. They're, they're so, they want this so badly that they're willing to carry it out themselves. And all of this is by no fault of Paul's. This caused me to reflect on two different things. One, as awful as our situation has been here in recent years at our church, um, God's been gracious. He really, really has. Um, other churches have been sunk, totally sunk, by much less than what we have gone through. And so as difficult as this season has been for all of us, and for many of you more so than me who's just been here the last two years, um, our God has looked out for us, and he's preserved us, and he has protected us. Um, Paul experienced more hatred from the outside by no fault of his own. And I also just want to reflect when I read this about the flip side of this question. Think about why are we experiencing a dark, scary, lonely place? I can think about that in my own life, but sometimes I think it's valuable to think, why am I not experiencing more dark, scary loneliness in my life? Right? In other words, Paul, uh, by no fault of his own, was so hated that people just wanted him in his grave. Right? So if that was the case for him, why am I not so hated? Individually, personally, why, why are people not clamoring to get me run out of town and as a church? Why is there not a movement to get us removed from the corner of Lake Cook and Waukegan because people just can't stand having us here? Right? I don't know that we can know the answer to that question totally, at any given moment of our lives. But I think it's worth reflecting on some of the possibilities from time to time. Um, So let's do that for a moment. There are a few possibilities for why we aren't experiencing more dark, scary loneliness at any given moment. One would just be God's grace. Maybe that's all it is, that 
God is supernaturally protecting us and restraining people's natural animosity that they have toward Jesus in the gospel. Maybe our culture just isn't as far removed from God as the Jerusalem Jews were in Paul's day. And so our neighbors uh, who aren't Christians don't have an all-out hatred for us Christians yet like they had for Paul at this time. It could be those things. But there are other possibilities that have more to do with us. I think for me, it's worth reflecting on from time to time. Like, what if I'm not as hated as Paul was because I'm not as godly as Paul was? Right? What if I'm not as hated as Paul was because the world looks at me and finds nothing to hate? Like, what if the world's looking at me and saying, well, he lives no differently than how we live. So what, what would there ever be to hate about him? Right? The bottom line is that whether we're hated or not at any given moment doesn't inherently mean anything about whether we've been faithful or not. Right? But if we're walking with Jesus indefinitely and indefinitely we're not being hated for what we believe at all, it should be cause for reflection in our lives because Jesus told us, that when people hate you and insult you and say all kinds of evil about you because of me, not if, but when, Jesus said, they hated me, why should you expect it to be any different for you? Paul, who's featured in this text, said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right? So if indefinitely I'm not experiencing any of that, I need to reflect on whether I'm truly walking with Jesus after all. <clears throat> So that's our first question. Why are we experiencing dark, scary loneliness? Why aren't we experiencing more of it? It's possible that it's by fault of our own, possible that it's by no fault of our own, but we need to ask those hard questions of ourselves. Second question comes from verses 6 through 9, and it's what should we expect from others in the dark, scary, lonely place? Let's look at what Paul experienced from others in the dark, scary, lonely place as I read verses 6 through 9. After he stayed among them, that's Festus. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? <clears throat> so here's Paul. Since he came to know the Lord, he's been living nothing but an exemplary and morally upright life. In fact, a couple chapters ago, he made the claim in front of the council, I have lived my life in all good conscience before God up to this day. And in the couple chapters since, nobody's been able to bring any kind of conclusive evidence to the contrary against him. They've been trying desperately to get him convicted of something worthy of death, and so they've hurled accusation after accusation against him, hoping that something will stick. But nothing has. And so as I think about verses 6 through 9, I think there's three things that we see here that we should expect from others in this world, particularly when we're in the dark, scary, lonely place. One, evil will be reported of us even when we've done good. That's from verse 7. Evil will be reported of us even when we've done good. I think about my wife Sarah here. She's the first one that came to mind when I read this. Um, she's at home today with our sick son. Um, but eight years ago, maybe 10, 
she was um, hired as the youth director at our church, church a little bigger than this one back in Florida. And when she was, you wouldn't believe the things that people were saying about her when she got hired. There was a major backlash and people uh, would say things like this. People were saying, she wasn't walking with the Lord when she was a teenager. How could she disciple our kids through their teenage years? They were saying things like, she, our kids were born following Jesus, and she only came to know the Lord when she was in college. How can she speak to our kids? How can she have anything to say to them? They were saying things like, well, she might be good in another context, but here at our church, with our kids who really know the Bible, she's not a good fit. And they got so worked up about wanting to undo and reverse this decision for her to be the youth director that they started just hurling accusations against her. They started saying, well, she dresses inappropriately because apparently for some parents, uh, they wanted t-shirts at all times and no tank tops or shoulders showing in, uh, when you're wearing a dress. Um, they started saying she's supporting witchcraft because she went with the students to see a Harry Potter movie, right? I was, I was expecting at any given moment, maybe I, it would not have surprised me if they started accusing her of uh, torturing baby kittens or something. Now, to their credit, those parents repented, like every single one of them, in tears. And over the next five years, the students in the youth group, one by one, realized that they thought they had been walking with Jesus, but many of them had not. And then the parents saw their kids' lives be transformed. And then the youth group happened to double in size as kids were feeling more loved on than they had ever felt before. And by the time we moved away, five years later, Many of those same parents were the ones lining up to throw us our going away party, right? But in the meantime, it was really hard just having to watch somebody, um, my wife specifically, have evil be reported of her even when she had done nothing but good. It's one thing we should expect. Another is from verse 8, and that's that when we're faithful, we should expect that accusations will come at us from multiple parties, even parties that would be opposed to each other. So we see it in verse 8, how Paul answers in his defense, shows us what some of the accusations were against him. He's being accused not only of offending against the law of the Jews, but he's being accused of offending against Caesar. Um, But those two should be mutually exclusive, right? Uh, Caesar and the Jewish leadership should be at odds with each other. Caesar is a foreign power who's come in and is controlling the Jews, keeping them under his power. And so you'd think that anything that's offensive to the law of the Jews, Caesar wouldn't care about. Or any way that Paul was standing up to Caesar, the Jewish leadership shouldn't care about. But that's what happens when we're being faithful to Jesus. People from all different parties, even ones who are formally opposed to each other, sometimes will come together in opposition to us. That's why for some of you, your conservative friends accuse you of being too liberal. And your liberal friends accuse you of being too conservative, right? That's why we, as a church here, Um, should expect that um, we will eventually be hated by some in the Republican establishment because we won't get in lockstep uh, with the platform and preach it from the pulpit. And we'll also be hated by the Democratic establishment because we cling to this Bible and treasure it, the Bible that they find to be so backward and outdated. In all... We should expect that injustice will be done to us when we're in the dark, scary, lonely place. Did you see the injustice there in verse 9? 
it's easy to miss. This Festus, who four verses ago was acknowledging that it wasn't right for Paul to be transported to Jerusalem, uh, suggests that Paul be transported to Jerusalem because he wants to do a favor to his base, to his constituents, right? He's found no cause for anything, any kind of charge against Paul, yet he's willing to do this evil thing, this injustice in verse 9, to do a favor to Paul's enemies. It's only a matter of time before we experience this on a more widespread level here in the United States, right? Uh, just the sheer numbers of it, right? O- old Christians are dying faster than young Christians are being baptized, right? Um, my generation is the most hostile to Christianity than any generation in America in over a century, right? Um, so as politicians have to appeal to their base, and as the base becomes more and more hostile to Christianity over time, uh, when, when politicians start wanting to do a favor to their base, what that's going to look like increasingly in the coming years is, just statistically speaking, unless the Lord intervenes, it will look like taking away our freedoms as Christians. We should expect that. We shouldn't be surprised by it. Jesus prepared us for the dark, scary, lonely places that we'd experience. But the next question is, what do we do when we're there? What do we do in the dark, scary, lonely place? And actually, uh, I'm just going to just treat this third point very briefly and put it in full in the highlights on Thursday for the sake of our time, because I think I can just make the point briefly and move on uh, to our final point. But listen as I read verses 10 through 12 for what Paul does when he's in the dark, scary, lonely place. Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there's nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed. To Caesar you will go. The point here that I think I can just make briefly is uh, one we've seen in a previous sermon series. And it's this, that as Paul is praying for deliverance, that he'd get to go to Rome one day, he is willing to participate in the answer to his prayer, right? So he doesn't just say, Lord, you told me I'm going to Rome. I'm just going to lay back and let you take me there, right? He sees an opportunity at one point in the proceedings for him to appeal to Caesar, which would get him to Rome, and he takes the opportunity and participates in the very answer to his prayer that the Lord promised was coming. You can see more on that in the highlights this week, but I think we should be willing to do the same as we're praying for deliverance in our dark, scary, lonely places. I, want to do, I do want to camp out, though, on this last point for a little longer, and uh, it's found in verses 13 through 22. You know, when we're in the dark, scary, lonely place, it's easy to start focusing on ourselves, how hard it is on us, and you know, why would the Lord allow me to go through this? Um, But Luke, the way he structures this chapter, leaves us with one more question that kind of takes us out of ourselves, I think. And it's um, the question of, what will the world see in me as I journey through the dark, scary, lonely places? What will the world see in us as we journey through the dark, scary, lonely places? It expands our vision, this question does, from just ourselves to what the purpose of this suffering is to the world around us. And Luke does that for us by giving us some uh, behind closed doors, 
secret intel on what Festus was thinking during this whole proceedings. And that's what we see in verses 13 to 22. Take a look at what Festus says about the whole situation as I read. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there's a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had an opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accuser stood up, They brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. In Festus' words here, in his summary of the situation, I think we see two things. I think we see that in some ways the world misses it when they look at our lives. But in other ways, the world can see it. They can see something in us. Um, How does Festus miss it? Uh, In verses 17 and 19, it becomes clear that he misses it because he sees Christianity as just one of many religions out there, right? Same with Judaism, uh, that Christianity is a subset of at this time. They're all the same. Um, You can see it in the way he says they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion, right? As if this is just another religion. There's nothing unique, nothing notable about it. We see that today, right? Our world increasingly treats Christianity like it's just another religion set of beliefs out there with nothing about it that lends itself to being privileged above any other belief system. And because Festus doesn't see it as notable, he doesn't really see Jesus as someone worth bothering himself about. You can hear it in his voice in verse 19 when he says, certain points of dispute about a certain Jesus. Um, It's as if he's saying, "I, I don't have time to track down information about this Jesus, whoever he is, right? And so Festus and many of our friends you've had similar conversations with, they miss it for that reason. But even as Festus misses it in some important ways, he really actually gets it in some other ways, right? Gets it exactly right. He gets what it all hinges on, what this whole debate hinges on, right? He can see that Paul's opponents, for them, it's about these points of dispute about their religion. But for Paul himself, it's about a man. It's about a person, It's about Jesus himself. Jesus, from Paul's perspective, is the reason that he's in prison, the reason he's hated, the whole reason that Paul lives his life. Um, So it brings the question, what about you and me? As the world watches our lives, as they watch us walk through the dark, scary, lonely places, what would they conclude? What do they conclude about what it's all about for us? What would their summary be of our lives as they watch us in action? Um, for the world, the summary is you watch them, you watch them run after status. You watch them uh, try to win intellectual arguments. They try to 
live for security for their family, right? But for the Christian, it's not about any of that. For us, it's all about Jesus. And every area of our lives screams Jesus loud to anyone who's watching. But it's actually more specific than that. Festus gets, he even gets it even more than that. He gets that it's not even just specifically about Jesus, it's about specifically the risen Jesus. Do you see that in his language there in verse 19? A certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. That's, when he looks at the situation, he sees that that's the crux of it. That's what it's all about. Um, what if that was how the world saw us? What if they said, I don't really understand this person's life. All I can really tell, all I can discern from their life is at the bottom of it, at the root of it, what it's all driven by is that they believe that there's this man, Jesus, who was dead and is now alive. Can you imagine? I can't, I can't imagine a better epitaph than that when it's all said and done. Right. So, where I might go with the application to that is, hey, so live your life more openly so that people can see that your life is all about the risen Jesus. Right. But if I were to give that application right now, that would be implying that your life already is about the risen Jesus, and the only disconnect is that you haven't learned how to communicate it to others, right? I'm not totally convinced that myself, for myself or for most of us that that's actually the case. I'm not, I'm not totally convinced that we're driving our kids to their soccer games and boarding our international flights and watching our Cubs games driven by the singular devotion to the risen Jesus, right? Like, I'm not sure that that's the case that we are all gardening and vacationing and investing our money any differently than we would if Jesus was still in his grave. In our highlights this week, I'm going to put an excerpt from a sermon from Charles Spurgeon in which he gives some ways in which the resurrection of Jesus should really change everything for us. But between now and Thursday, it might be worthwhile for each of us, myself included, to take some inventory on what's actually different about my life because Jesus is risen from the dead. Right? Like, how is my life any different than it would be if Jesus was still in his grave? Think about it between now and and Thursday, for Paul, the answer to that question was literally everything. Literally everything in his life changed because Jesus rose from the dead. And Festus, to his credit, could see that in Paul as he watched Paul walk through the dark, scary, lonely place. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here in chapter 25 of Acts. As we've thought through our own dark, scary, lonely places, we've thought about why we got there, what people will do to us while we're there, what we should do while we're there, what people will see in us while we're walking through it. Um, The big idea in all of it is just this. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope when the path to glory brings us through the dark, scary, lonely places. Don't lose hope even when the path to glory leads us through the dark, scary, lonely places. Paul didn't lose hope. And because of that, God used precisely his dark, scary, lonely place to take him to the place of glory he was hoping and praying to go. We started out this sermon talking about a dark, scary, lonely place in this life of our church. Our hope, our prayer, 
is that God allowed that dark, scary, lonely place in our past because he's got somewhere glorious ahead that he wants to take us and that he's going to bring us to that glorious place precisely through the dark, scary, lonely place that he allowed us to go through, right? We don't know how he's going to do it. We don't even really know why he would choose to do it that way. But what we do know is that he's the sort of God who does that very frequently, right? He did it in the life of Paul, who was brought to Rome through miscarriages of justice. He did it in the life of Joseph back in Genesis, who was brought to the courts of Pharaoh in Egypt through false imprisonment and false accusation. But never did God do this more than in the life of Jesus himself who has been exalted now to the highest place, given the name that is above every name, so that every knee would bow to him and every tongue confess that he is Lord. But our Jesus got there to that place by way of a dark, scary, lonely place. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was accused. He was unjustly condemned. And on the cross, he willingly went to the darkest, scariest, loneliest place imaginable, went to hell itself on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to. And as a result of all that, all that journey through the dark, scary, lonely place, as a result of all that, he was exalted to the highest place, given the name that is above every name. And from that place where he's currently seated at the right hand of the Father, he has sent us his Holy Spirit to guide us through our own dark, scary, lonely places until he comes back one day and brings us with him to glory. We do want to end on that note of glory, and so the band's going to come up here now so that we can joyfully sing with anticipation a song to that end. Let me pray as they come up. God, we praise you in advance for the glory that awaits us. If not on this earth, then in the life to come. But Lord, we do pray and we seek you Um, that you might have a glorious chapter ahead of us even during our earthly lives here as part of this church, North Suburban Church. Lord, we so desperately want to be used by you as a light here on the North Shore. We want to see people come to know you. We want to see them discipled to become followers of you and your word. And we want to see them sent out from here to be transformed uh, disciples and transform the world around us, North Shore and beyond. Lord, you've given us glimpses of it now. We're so grateful for it. We're grateful that you're bringing us out of our dark, scary, lonely place. But Lord, we ask that you would do it to a measure that we couldn't even think to ask for or believe in. We ask that you do it for your own glory. And as we wait, Lord, we sing and we pray with anticipation, knowing that you are in the midst of our darkness and our scariness and our loneliness. In Jesus' name, amen. Out to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.